Welcome to the Responsible Finance Podcast, the official podcast of the Responsible Finance and Investment Foundation. I am Blake Good, the CEO of the RFI Foundation, a global nonprofit organization working to build awareness, promote research, and encourage conversions in the responsible finance industry, including socially responsible investment, ESG, Islamic finance, and impact investment. The purpose of the Responsible Finance Podcast is to connect you to the leaders behind innovative approaches to creating positive social impact in responsible finance. In this podcast, we talk to Umar Munshi, founder of Ethos Ventures. Ethos is a pioneering group of ethical and Islamic crowdfunding companies that fund government-backed social housing development projects in Indonesia, along with high net worth individuals and Islamic banks. Ethos's community has crowd-invested in projects to build 5,000 affordable houses in Indonesia since 2015. Ethos has been a leader in Islamic fintech, and Umar was one of the founders of the Islamic Fintech Alliance. What has consistently impressed me about his work is that he has focused both on growing his primary site, Ethos Crowd, and Ethos Ventures, while also making time for supporting efforts that help the Islamic fintech ecosystem grow. I hope you enjoy our conversation about ethics, Islamic finance, social impact, and the way that regulators can effectively approach fintech to encourage the most beneficial applications of fintech for social good. To begin, can you uh, introduce yourself, give a quick overview of your background, and then share a quick overview of, of ethics crowd and, and ethics ventures? And um, ethics is, uh, the brand ethics is from two words, ethical and Islamic. Uh, we started three years ago. Uh, it was the, a startup uh, that was inspired by Islamic finance. Uh, my my own background before I go into this, I have been an entrepreneur for the past 16 years uh, in different industries in South in different countries in Southeast Asia, mainly in Indonesia. When I came back to Singapore uh, from Indonesia about seven years ago now, when I came back to Singapore. I started doing two businesses, an education business as well as an Islamic finance uh, advocacy or consultancy business. And what we did with the Islamic finance business, it, was, it is called uh, Amana Asset Management. At that time, uh, our original intent was to bring in retail Islamic finance products to Singapore. And uh, when we encountered uh, a lack of interest and resistance from industry players to enter the Singapore market due to our small uh, natural market, uh, basically the Muslim population is very small. Uh, we then uh, started to give more educational talks to create more awareness about Islamic finance and more programs to create more understanding of Islamic finance. From there, our community grew and uh, eventually we decided let's build our own product or let's come up with our own service uh, for our community of Islamic finance enthusiasts. So that was the initial trigger. And from there, it evolved. Uh, the concept or the, the uh, focus evolved into becoming a crowdfunding platform. And uh, initially, it was mainly offline crowdfunding. We, uh, I'm not a tech guy per se, uh, but at that time, uh, what we had was a community and we had demand. And we also had the supply of projects uh, from Indonesia based on uh, me and my friends having our business experience there. So we had a simple platform to match our community to projects, and uh, that's how it started uh, three years ago. Uh, till uh, From then till now, a lot of uh, things have evolved and changed uh, over the past three years. 
right now our main focus is to our main platform is atisscrowd.com and uh, that platform focuses on bringing uh, retail as well as uh, larger private uh, investors as well as institutional investors to Indonesia uh, on our on, through our online marketplace to invest directly into projects and uh, our yeah. core focus we have two main focus uh, in terms of the projects that we do one is uh, affordable housing subsidized housing development uh, this is mainly or usually part of a national scheme or national plan uh, to provide provide more houses for the low income we provide finance to the uh, real estate developers uh, the second type of uh, project or the second uh, 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 sector that we go into is to fund contractors uh, who are uh, building that are building infrastructure uh, projects or they have infrastructure contracts also uh, related to a government scheme uh, so both these are our two main focus and why we have chosen to focus on these two uh, the first, of course, affordable housing. The social impact is very high. Uh, giving people homes can help them break out of poverty. And uh, the second one, uh, it is to build more of the infrastructure of Indonesia, which has, of course, a large impact on the standard of living of Indonesians over the long run. For both also, the returns are good, and we can structure the deals in a way that uh, the, cash, uh, the cash payment or the, the cash flow as well as the collections are in a closed loop. Uh, thus, we can mitigate some risk, uh, while at the same time taking a fair risk on the project. Just to point out um, the background, you've financed uh, 500 completed houses so far and, and 5,000 uh, sort of in the works now. Uh, what what makes Indonesia particularly, uh, particularly a good place for, this, uh, for these social projects? Is it based on... Uh, the background of your business connections? Are there other factors that, that make it a, a high impact and uh, financially sustainable place to do business? It's a combination of factors. Um, of course, uh, the macroeconomic situation uh, of Indonesia today is uh, has attracted a lot of interest from uh, around the world to bring in uh, foreign investment into Indonesia. Indonesia is one of the few countries that has been that is growing strongly still and has been going strongly for the past uh, 15 years or, or longer uh, from the uh, Asian financial crisis uh, ASEAN financial crisis till today Indonesia has not encountered uh, technically has not counted any recession even with all the global and regional recessions that have occurred so Indonesia has a strong local demand uh, however it is still considered uh, an exotic market to many investors because it has not been uh, as open as maybe countries like India and uh, China. Uh, so in Southeast Asia, Indonesia is the largest economy. It is the largest Muslim population. So naturally for Islamic finance, this would be, Indonesia would be a very interesting uh, destination for investors. Uh, of course, my experience there helped a lot. My network there is still the same network that I have been building over the past 10 years. Uh, my partners there are my partners that I've been working with for, for about 10 years now. So that is another very important factor. Uh, when you enter emerging markets, there needs to be very strong on-the-ground presence and understanding of the 
business culture as well as the uh, consumer or the people culture. Uh, so Alhamdulillah, we have that. Uh, we are confident of that uh, access and that ability to understand Indonesia. And lastly, uh, it is we zoom in more into the projects. Uh, the projects that we focus on are projects which with uh, typically with an off-taker or with a strong uh, contract that ensures there's uh, receivables or there's income coming into the project. Uh, we have structured it in a way such that we aggregate uh, different stakeholders. So we work closely with the Islamic banks in Indonesia that typically for real estate uh, will provide the end financing or the mortgage, which results in the exit for the investors who are investing in the developer. We also bring in the government since it is a government, uh, uh, government bank project. Uh, the government has a very important role and we make sure that the government is also involved in our discussions so that the uh, subsidy that comes to the government to the project goes through uh, smoothly. It is a national agenda in Indonesia to build a million houses a year. It is uh, pushed directly by the president and uh, it has cascaded down to all the different ministries so for this specific uh, sector of affordable housing, to us, it's more it's more attractive than the general open market real estate developments. Of course, local developers prefer higher end uh, developments because there's a bigger margin. But for foreigners uh, uh, and for us, the margins are still definitely good enough uh, to motivate uh, our investors. While at the same time, uh, the risks are lower because it is in that sector that is being uh, being uh, promoted or being supported by the government. Similarly, for the infrastructure projects, we have uh, this kind of uh, benefits uh, in doing, in, in focusing on those sectors. So it's a multiple, uh, it's a combination of a few factors. Uh, macroeconomic uh, growth, uh, the outlook for Indonesia is still strong. Uh, we have good uh, relations and good contacts and good network and understanding there on the ground. And uh, thirdly, we have chosen uh, sectors where there's high social impact, where there's good government support, and uh, at the same time, there's still good returns. The, that focus of social impact at the core of the business um, has that yes. been has that been a challenge in terms of uh, explaining that that you are able to deliver, uh, if not if not equivalent but comparable returns to investors? Are there investors that are specifically motivated by that factor who be willing to sacrifice returns? Is that something that's been necessary? Yeah. At this point, there's no trade-off between social uh, social returns and, and uh, monetary or commercial returns. What I meant was locally for real estate developers, the big guys, uh, they prefer to do higher-end projects because they have a much higher margin. But as an investor from overseas entering Indonesia, uh, the social, sec- social real estate sector is still able to produce enough uh, returns uh, to attract investors from abroad. In fact, the returns are generally quite high considered, uh, considering the current global uh, investor uh, outlook. Uh, the, there are not many opportunities to make double-digit returns. So we, we have seen that as long as there's the potential to receive double-digit returns uh, in a, on an annualized uh, calculation, uh, then there is strong interest. From a marketing perspective, there are definitely two types of investors. Some are more motivated by the social uh, focus some are, are motivated uh, mainly or only by the numbers. So we try to uh, have uh, different targeted uh, uh, marketing uh, approaches to reach the two different types of investors. The different types of investors that you've 
that you're working with. I think it, historically it's been primarily retail crowdfunding, and uh, you've moved more into the high net worth and institutional market. How has that? Uh, yep. How has that come about, and what are the different uh, different constraints that you uh, encounter with different different types of investors? Yes. Uh, for the first two two and a half years till the beginning of this year, our focus was purely based on retail because we wanted to prove the concept of retail crowdfunding. And uh, Alhamdulillah, to a large extent, we have uh, been successful at doing that. Over the past six eight months, we uh, naturally from our database, uh, larger investors step forward, and uh, we have started a lead investor program where we have a more tailored approach to these larger investors. And uh, they're having quite a number of lead investors, or you can say larger investors coming in. Uh, right now, we have a number of uh, institutional investors also interested uh, to come in with us for projects uh, from abroad. In Indonesia, all the while, investments have come in from large investors and institutions also. Uh, the, the key focus now that uh, is starting recently is more of lead investors and institutional investors from overseas. Yeah, so that is moving. And... Uh, also, for these investors, there are, there are two uh, angles. Those who are more focused on the returns. Uh, for these investors, they are happy that there's social impact because that's a, a bonus for them. Uh, at the same time, there are also social investors or social impact investors that have come uh, forward or that we have reached out to. Uh, they are very keen. Uh, although I don't see uh, much difference in the expectations of returns, is just that they focus mainly or specifically on uh, social impact investments. They still do expect high returns. So both have to come in together for our business model to work, the returns uh, socially as well as the uh, commercial returns. In terms of how the um, the proof of concept for the retail crowdfunding has gone, you've, you're regulated uh, by uh, different regulators in different countries. What have you seen as the, uh, been the most effective uh, regulatory approach uh, you know comparing like singapore and, and malaysia and you're in indonesia and brunei as well yeah well um it's still very early days most regulators uh, have not yet come up with regulations or have some guidelines or uh, consultation papers some regulators have taken steps maybe i'll just uh, talk about the four main countries that we are uh, in the process of trying to get regula uh, regulated or uh, to be set up formally with uh, the knowledge of the regulators. Uh, right now, we are, we, of course, we are a Singapore company. We started in Singapore. Uh, we also have a branch in Malaysia, in Indonesia, in Jakarta, and uh, we are trying to set up something in Brunei. Now, uh, in Singapore, the government has, has been, been uh, speaking to the industry for a few years now, and uh, there are no specific regulations for crowdfunding. Uh, however, the government has made it clear, the regulators have made it clear uh, that if you do engage in regulated activity, that you need to be regulated under existing uh, licenses or regulations. And what the regulators have done is that they've relaxed uh, the uh, barrier to entry uh, in terms of capital requirement and other things uh, for uh, P2P operators. Uh, in Singapore, we have not applied for that license because at this point, we, we believe our current model is more of a match-making uh, model, an uh, introducer kind of model. Uh, but we do, we are looking to get properly or formally regulated in Singapore, uh, inshallah, sometime next year. In Malaysia, the government, the approach from the Securities Commission has been very different. They have 
uh, opened up uh, to the market to apply for specific licenses two years ago for equity crowdfunding and one year ago for uh, peer-to-peer or debt-based or uh, financing. And uh, we applied for the P2P and we got the uh, conditional license. We were one of the six. Uh, it took us a lot of effort, a lot of uh, time and uh, a lot of resources to do this. And uh, we were lucky that we had an investor uh, who came in, which is a large law firm in Malaysia. Uh, without that, we probably wouldn't have been able to go, to go through with it. So uh, the barrier to entry in Malaysia is strong. They only gave out six conditional licenses for peer-to-peer financing. Uh, we are one of the recipients. We are the only ones who are planning or who, who intend to do it Sharia compliant. And uh, right now, we have not yet gone live with that operator, uh, that regulated platform. Uh, inshallah, will be sometime uh, next month uh, in October. In Indonesia, the government is, uh, or the regulators have been very communicative and we have submitted uh, our proposal to them. Uh, and right now, most of the industry players are waiting for the regulators to finalize. But in the meantime, uh, the regulators uh, seem happy to let uh, the industry players continue uh, to operate. In Brunei, it's different. Brunei uh, is stricter in terms of the control of who can operate in Brunei. And for that, we have to go through the, the process until the end before we can start operating in Brunei. So different regulators are different. And which one works better, uh, which one will work out in the end, uh, is still too early to tell. Uh, I personally feel that a more open and consultative approach uh, would be better. But uh, a direct regulation approach like what Malaysia has done can also be beneficial because you force uh, the serious players uh, to put resources in to show that they are serious and then to work closely with the regulators uh, within a licensed environment. So, yeah, uh, I think there's pros and cons both ways. Only time will tell. Great. And you mentioned that you're in four countries now. Uh, Are you looking to expand outside of Southeast Asia? Yes. uh, Over here, we are in three countries. We are... Hopefully, we can set up in Brunei soon, but right now, we're in three countries, Singapore, Malaysia, and uh, Indonesia. Outside of Southeast Asia, we may have more of a joint venture uh, kind of model, which is also the model that we implement here. Uh, we realize that we need a lot of expertise in every country when you enter that country if you're doing investment. So to enter ourselves and try to become the expert will take too much time and, and effort. So we look for suitable joint venture partners. Right now, we are looking to set up in different parts of the uh, Middle East, uh, but it's still early days, and um, I don't think I'm able to comment more until we have some progress there. And with the the way that you've developed with the different uh, joint ventures, like you mentioned, it's almost like Ethos has become a, sort of an incubator accelerator of its of its own. Um, how have you approached the different areas that you've been involved with, both in SME finance and housing finance uh, and some of the other uh, ventures like Muslim Women Tech? Uh, what, what's the overarching strategy for that, for that type of approach? Yeah, well, initially, the incubator kind of model or the venture builder kind of model was, was what I was uh, gunning for or aiming for. Uh, recently, we adjusted the model a little bit. Uh, to, consult, to do a little bit more consolidation in terms of our branding and our online uh, presence. So we have two main platforms. One is the uh, real estate platform. And uh, of course, we have a spin-off or, or uh, other sister platforms, if you may call it, like Capital Boost and uh, Skola Fun, uh, where there are different teams and different founders running it, but we are co-branding and cross-promoting each other. Uh, 
the smaller platforms that you mentioned, Muslim Women Tech, Sadaka Indonesia, Yaman Aid, uh, these platforms will now, uh, in Malaysia, we are setting up a new platform uh, called globalsadaka.com. And uh, this will be the main or master platform that will aggregate smaller platforms. Uh, as we move along, we have so many requests to build platforms together. Instead of building too many platforms and trying to manage so many platforms, we want to consolidate all the donation focus or social focus uh, platforms and activities and partnerships into Global Sedeka. Uh, FISCRA will remain focused on real estate. Capital Boost will remain focused on uh, small businesses. You're covering a lot of uh, important areas of, of social impact uh, finance. So it's been good to see that develop. And I mean, I, thinking back to when I first met you, in Edinburgh um, 2015, uh, it was just, I think, Ethis and uh, Capital Boost had just been uh, started up. And you know, as the time has gone on, the whole Islamic fintech space has grown. Uh, Innovate Finance recently counted 103 Islamic fintech companies. Mm-hmm. What advice would you give to these startups, uh, or if you could, to yourself going back a couple of years to, to Ethis's development, in terms of how to grow Islamic fintech and how to uh, position the role of social impact within the business model of fintech. Yeah, maybe I can give um, some opinions on developing as an Islamic finance or fintech startup, and then uh, later on more on the social side. Uh, the industry is, is, although Alhamdulillah now there's more than 100 uh, startups in the space, uh, it's still very small and still still needs a lot of uh, effort to build the industry. We've had to build the company as well as try and drive the industry at the same time, which is a lot of work. So uh, one thing that I feel really needs to be done and which is happening is more collaboration between startups, more discussions between startups, uh, because we have to build an industry, uh, not just our own company or our own businesses. So collaboration, cross-selling, cross-promotion is something that's natural, especially when it, when you're online. Uh, because, uh, you know, in the real world, consumers can go or, or buyers can go to one shop and to go to your competitor's shop will take them time, energy, and there's a lot of friction. Whereas online, you can have 10 tabs uh, of different competitors open at the same time on one browser. So we we will we are in the same space online. Uh, so we need to collaborate no matter what. Uh, and we need to coll- collaborate uh, effectively. So that's the first thing. Uh, second thing, I believe, it can give bring a lot of benefit for startups to from the very beginning look at how they can work together with uh, or partner with the incumbent larger Islamic finance institutions uh, because they have a lot of resources, they have a lot of access, and they also have the interest. Uh, they what they like is maybe the nimbleness uh, of a startup and uh, maybe the creativity of a startup. So working together and collaborating with the bigger players from the very beginning as part of your strategy uh, will also be useful. Uh, for startups as they grow. Uh, that, of course, also includes uh, challenges to do with regulations. Working with big players, we can write on or work together with them on certain, in certain uh, ways uh, such that they have really covered the regulatory perspective or even the uh, compliance perspective for all the KYC requirements and so on. Uh, on the social impact focus, I personally believe that this has to be an inherent part of any Islamic finance or Islamic banking business. Uh, I'm talking from the Islamic uh, perspective. Uh, ethics is called ethical and Islamic. Uh, although ethical is implicit and part of maybe a subset of being Islamic in the first place, 
Uh, but I wanted to make it clear to the market that, that for those, especially for those who don't understand Islam, that ethics is a core part of the business. And uh, any Islamic business should have ethics uh, or social impact at, at its core. Uh, because at the end of the day, uh, the worldview in Islam is that money or wealth is given to you as a trust, as a form of uh, trust or amana, which we have to use uh, and be answerable to in the afterlife. So naturally, we should use it for good things, not things just that, that just enrich ourselves. Yeah, so I believe this needs to be right at the core of any uh, business that is uh, focused on Islamic uh, concepts or Islamic finance or brands itself as Muslim focused or Islamic. I think that's a, a really good sort of way to sum up the situation for the social impact focused and for the Islamic uh, finance industry. So thank you again for, for your time and uh, thanks for sharing your thoughts. Thank you so much, Blake. Thanks again for listening to the Responsible Finance Podcast. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Podbean. If you want to get updates from RFI about our podcast and our other activities, you can find that link on our Twitter feed at RFI Foundation. You can also follow me at Sharing Risk. Hope you'll join us for our next podcast.